Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, We started a series last week here at Summit on the book of Ephesians, and we did an introduction on that. And So I gave some background, I gave some history uh, on the city of Ephesus and also on the Ephesian church. Uh, And we'll touch on some of that throughout this series uh, just to give you some context. But I would encourage you, if you missed last week, uh, go back and download the podcast. You can watch the video from our website on our archive. Uh, But get caught up on that if you you weren't here last week or missed that. Uh, But we'll pick it up today in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And what we're going to do through this series is walk line by line through Ephesians. So uh, we'll take some time to mention or talk about a little bit on each passage. Um, And so by the time we walk through this whole book, which will be um, the end of, it'll be the end of of November. So we're going to be in Ephesians from now until Thanksgiving. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. That's what we're doing. So um, you don't have any control over it. So here's what we're just suck it up and like it. That's what we're doing. So I'm having the same conversation I have with my kids sometimes. They're like, oh, Brussels sprouts. We're like, we like Brussels sprouts. You're going to eat the Brussels sprouts. So if you don't like Brussels sprouts, I'm sorry. We're eating Brussels sprouts. Um, so we're going to start Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 today, and uh, I typically read from the English Standard Version, so that's the version that's on the screens. If you want to follow along on the screens, you can, uh, but this is what it says. It says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints. So he pauses there, but he says, uh, he acknowledges two things. He acknowledges their, the Ephesian church's love for the Lord and their love for people. And I will tell you, um, I've had people ask me, Mel, how has Summit grown like they have? What have you guys done? They want to know what the silver bullet is or what's the magic formula. And there is no magic formula. But I tell people over and over and over, what we've chosen to do as a church is love God really well and love people really well. Now, there's times that we don't do either one of those things as well as we would like, but that's what we endeavor to do is glorify God and have a healthy relationship with him and have a healthy relationship with the people around us, whether it's the people in our church, the people in our community, or people in other churches. We want to make sure God is glorified through our relationships, and, and we want to do those two things. If we can do that well, we feel like the world will be attracted to what God is doing here. Uh, and so what Paul does is he acknowledges that he sees that in the Ephesian church. He says, I acknowledge that you have faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints. That's That's incredible, and I feel like that's a simple formula, not just for a church, but for us as individual believers. If we can endeavor to love God really well and endeavor to love the people around us really well, it it will be shocking how it shifts our life and how it changes our lives by simply doing those two things. It goes on to say in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And I love that because uh, Paul, gratitude is such an incredible, powerful uh, tool that we typically don't utilize. And what Paul does, he just lets them know, I'm so grateful for you and your heart for God and your heart for people. And he makes that clear. Uh, And it's one thing to say thanks. It's another thing to say thank you for and being specific about it. And Paul is specific. Man, thank you. I'm, I'm continually grateful for your heart for God and for people. Uh, then he goes on to say, I pray for you, right? He says, um, remembering you in my prayers. And if we're going to be honest, uh, don't we have conversations with people sometimes uh, that it just tends to be religious and churchy, and somebody will tell us they've got a problem, and this is what's going on in my life, and it's easy to have a natural response and say, oh, I'll be praying for you, right? 
But the truth is we are liars because a lot of times we do not pray for them. Anybody ever done that before? I'm the pastor and I've done that before, okay? But let's be honest. And so, we'll, oh, I'll be praying for you. And the truth is we're not. We would like to pray for them, but we, we don't really. Uh, it's kind of like when you see somebody at the grocery store and you're like, oh, hey, you ought to come see us sometime. But in your mind, you're thinking, please, God, don't let them come see me sometime. <laughs> We need to get together. And you're like, oh no, why did I just say that? They're going to take me up on it, right? We don't really mean it. It's just something we say. And sometimes when we say, I'll be praying for you, it is just something we say. And so what I've had to do is, uh, is I try to be more disciplined about it now. So if somebody gives me a prayer need, if I tell them I'm going to be praying for you, I will typically make a note so that I will actually be praying for them. Um, if I don't, then I'll do one of two things. I will tell them... Um, Hey, did you fill out a prayer card? If you haven't filled out a prayer card or email us your prayer need, uh, that way the staff can be praying. That way I don't, it's not all on me to remember that because a lot of times I, I want to remember, but I won't. Uh, and so a lot of times I will do that or sometimes this makes them a little uncomfortable. I'll say, hey, do you care if we pray about that right now? And you know how serious they are about their prayer need by how long the gap is, you know, because I'll say, hey, do you care if we pray about that right now? And we're in the lobby and they'll go, uh, uh, I, yeah, I guess you can pray for me now. It's like, all right, then let's pray, right? And I don't know if I need you to pray for me after all. Maybe it's not that big a need, you know? I don't want to be prayed for in the lobby. But what Paul says is, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And then he gets specific about what his prayer is. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And how powerful is this? Because I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I pray prayers that are pretty selfish. They're about me. They're me-focused. God, bless me. Help me. Oh, well, it's not about me. It's about my kids. Bless my kids. That's still fairly selfish, right? Uh, you know, help me get, help me do, help me, help me, help me. And I heard someone this last week, they said, if God answered all of your prayers today, would it change the world or just your circumstance? It's kind of a punch in the gut, isn't it? Because I read that and I was like, oh, gosh. Wow. I felt convicted. God, help me pray big prayers. Help me pray prayers that'll change the world and not just my life, my circumstance. Because that's what we're guilty of many times. Just praying what we want, what we need. And what Paul prays is something very powerful. He says, hey, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that you'll have, uh, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be made known to you, that you will experience that. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, Revelation, this is something we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, if you missed last week, we talked about the mystery of salvation that, that Paul talks about in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And this mystery is a revealed mystery. So it's God's heart and desire to not keep anything from us, but to reveal his will for us. And we talked last week, his will is for us to be in relationship with, with God, to know him in, in relationship. And we'll explore that a little more today. But here, this, this revelation that we have from revelation that we have from God, uh, God wants us to know his desire for us. Um, it's not like he's trying to shroud everything in mystery and keep it from us. He wants us to see what his desire for us is. And we see in just a moment how he expresses that and how he reveals it to us. But his desire is for you to know who you are in Christ and who Christ really is because that will change our lives. So that's the revelation we see. And it talks about wisdom. Uh, wisdom is just simply the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. How many of you wish you had the same amount of wisdom when you were 19 years old as you do right now? I do. 
It could have saved me some issues, right? Some problems. Some of our IUP students are like, yeah, last year was tough, right? 19, two years ago. So uh, it was a little longer ago for me than that. Uh, but man, if I, if I had as much wisdom when I was 19 as I did do right now, it'd be shocking. And I'm sure when I'm 60, I'll think the same thing about when I was 40. Man, if I knew what I knew now, right? Um, and what we see here, I think Paul is praying this prayer that, that God would give the spirit of wisdom to the church in, in Ephesus. Um, there's two kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom that we gain through experience over time. We just learn things. We figure things out. We do stupid things. We mess up. And we learn from them. Um, and there's an earthly wisdom there. And then there's a, a God-given heavenly wisdom that I think we see uh, King Solomon asked for whenever he was anointed king of Israel as a young boy. Uh, God said, what would you have? I'll give anything to you. And he could have said wealth and riches and whatever. And what did he say? He said, I'll take wisdom. I need wisdom. If, if I'm going to be the leader that I know these people need and that you want me to be, God, give me wisdom. And God imparted wisdom to him that was supernatural, that was not learned on its own. And I think what we see here is that it's not either or. I think in many ways it's both. I think God wants to give us supernatural wisdom that only comes through Christ. Um, but I, I believe also that through Christ, uh, God can fast forward our wisdom. He can give us wisdom that's beyond what our experience dictates because he'll help us grow not just through our experiences, but through the other experiences we see around us. And he can do that supernaturally so that he can spare us some of the experiences that bring us wisdom. Because the Lord knows I've, I've gotten some wisdom in my life that cost me a lot emotionally and spiritually, physically, financially. And what if God could have spared me that and I still could have learned? And I think that's what Paul is praying. My prayer is that you will have the spirit of wisdom in your life, that you'll exercise that wisdom in every, every aspect of your life. And that's what Paul's prayer is. But he, so he prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then he says, in the knowledge of him. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. So this is what he says. He says, uh, God, give them the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the knowledge, uh, wisdom, I'm sorry, wisdom, <laughs> I'm getting my, my words mixed up, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So God, give them wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. So this word knowledge, it's a Greek word, it's epignosis. And what it means is um, knowledge through experience. So it's not just sitting in a class and learning something from a teacher, but it's actually working with your hands and seeing it in action. Um, and what this means in this context for us is that as we, as we gain knowledge about Christ, and not just a book knowledge that we learn people tell us about, but an actual knowledge where we get our hands dirty and we experience Christ, um, then there's a spirit of revelation and wisdom that God gives us as we know Christ more intimately. So um, I've talked about this before. In the world of social media, it's easy to know people without knowing people, right? Um, it, whether it's a celebrity, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, I, I, can, I can know what he's about. I can know what his kids look like. I can know what his wife looks like. I can know what he ate for, ate for dinner last night because he posts stuff on social media, right? But, but if, if Ben Roethlisberger comes home one night and I'm sitting in his hot tub, right? That's probably not going to go so well. He walks in, I'm trying on one of his shirts, right? What are they going to do? He's not going to be like, hey, buddy, you follow me on social media. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to call the cops. They're going to tase me. Something bad is going to happen because I don't belong there, right? 
So I could say, but I know him. He had steak last night for dinner. And they're going to go, guy, you're crazy, right? So just because I have a head knowledge doesn't mean I have an experiential, relational knowledge. And this is what happens. Um, in the, in, we see in, in Jewish religious leaders that they had a head knowledge of God, but they didn't have a heart knowledge of God. Uh, let me read this to you. This is from Romans chapter 1. Um, in verse one through four, or Romans chapter ten, verse one through four, it's it's Paul talking about Jewish people here, and this is what he says: Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for uh, to God for them, talking about Jewish people and uh, Jewish people in general, is that they may be saved. He said, my heart is my desire is for them to be saved, for them to know Christ for them to inherit eternal life. That's my desire. That's what his desire is for them. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. So this this is such a packed statement that he makes here. But what he's saying is um, Jewish people, um, they understand the rules, the do's and the don'ts. Uh, we've talked about this before in the Old Testament. There's over 600 thou shalt now, uh, thou shalt and thou shalt nots. So they understood the rules. And in fact, they, they esteemed the law so highly that they actually felt like I can attain righteousness in myself if I just work hard enough. And so what Paul's saying is they've mistaken what really should happen. They have a head knowledge that is, makes them zealous for the law. It gives them a zeal and a passion for the law because they feel like the law will save them. Their own righteousness will save them. But what's happened is um, they have missed knowing, really knowing, so they know the law, but they don't have an epignosis knowledge of Christ. So they don't have an experiential knowledge of who Christ is. They know God because they know the law, but they don't have relationship with Christ. So they think my righteousness, if I just do enough good stuff, then it will somehow weigh and and the balances will be scaled in my direction and I'll get to go to heaven. But he said they don't get it because it's not about their righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Christ that we receive that we do not earn because we're good enough. We get it because we're loved. Um, and so what, what Paul's saying is, um, they know, but they don't know. Does that make sense? They know, they know what they need to do. They, they have a head knowledge, but they don't have an experiential knowledge. And too many times in churches across America, we have the same thing. We have people who say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to church. If I just go to church, then I'll be good. And I'll, I'll make sure I go so many Sundays. I might even drop some in the offering box. And if I do, that'll be like a little bonus gold star for me with God, right? Like, then everything will be fine. Uh, but this, isn't the, this is the thing. We think it's our righteousness that's saving us, and it's not. It doesn't come through knowing what you need to know and knowing the facts and figures about God. In fact, Scripture tells us that there are going to be people that get to heaven on the day of judgment that are disappointed, that they think they've done everything they need to do, and they're going to be disappointed because we're going to hear from our Heavenly Father, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never even knew you. Why? Because we have a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. We haven't experienced Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what this thing is all about. It's not about getting you to come to church more. It's about getting you to fall more in love with Christ. It's not about getting you uh, more plugged into a program, but it's helping you uh, get plugged into areas or opportunities that's going to stir up an affection and devotion in your heart for Christ more. Um, And this is what Paul was after with the Ephesian church. So the spirit of revelation and wisdom are only found in 
truly knowing Christ. Ephesians 1.18 says this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Um, I love the imagery here. It says, having the, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And uh, there's a lot of times, well, throughout Scripture, we see Christ compared to light. And we see Christians compared to light. Um, and the truth is, whenever we come into relationship with Christ, he shines a big light in us. And this makes us somewhat uncomfortable because uh, what it does is it reveals something to us. There's this, this moment of revelation. Have you ever been in a dark room and you turn the lights on and there's a revelation about the room? And maybe if you've got children, you just turn the lights back off because you don't want to see how messy the room is right? Uh, or maybe uh, if you've got kids, you understand this. You're walking through the house at night and you don't want to turn the lights on. And then you have a moment of discovery when your barefoot steps on a Lego br brick. Has anybody ever done that before? <laughs> and if you've never prayed before, you're praying in that moment. And if you've never cussed before, you're cussing in that moment. <laughs> you might be the most saintly person in the world, but you're thinking of all of every cuss word you can imagine in that moment. You step, <laughs> right? But what happens? We turn on the lights and there's a revelation of what's going on. We see clearly this room. And what happens is God shines this light into our heart whenever we're in relationship with Christ. And what he does is it makes us uncomfortable, but it reveals our hearts. And he goes, oh, yeah, you didn't know that was going on, did you? And we go, oh, God, okay, yeah, take care of that. And this is the thing. That doesn't end at the point of salvation, because as I grow in my faith, uh, we call it sanctification. And so I, I take a step toward Christ and I feel like, okay, now I'm holy. Woo, I'm holy now. And the light is shining a little more brightly into my heart. Maybe it's shining into a corner or a nook or a cranny that wasn't illuminated before. And all of a sudden, there's, there's an area of my heart that I thought had been dealt with, but it hadn't. And God goes, oh, no, no, no. See that? Yeah, see that pride right there? And I go, oh, okay, deal with the pride, God. Help me, right? Okay, now I'm holy, and I take another step toward Christ. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Did you see that right there? I'm like, oh, come on, right? I thought I dealt with that. And that's what God does. So he reveals us to us, and that's painful at times because we fool ourselves pretty well, right? Uh, the level of self-deception um, self that we have exercised is crazy. Um, when, oh, gosh, this is a tangent. When you watch American Idol and they're genuinely shocked how bad a singer they are, it's like, you have deceived yourself. Like, why do you think you're a good singer? It's clear to everyone you're a bad singer, right? But we fool ourselves. We go, I'm a good Christian and I don't have any issues in my life and I don't have any problems. My life is perfect. But the problem is we haven't really stepped into that light. Does that make sense? So there's no revelation because there's no light. Um, so that's the first thing he does. God reveals us to ourselves. But then what we also see here is when our hearts are illuminated, it allows us to see the world around us a little better. And, and this, is a good, this is a good exercise to see how mature you might be in your faith. Um, if your prayers typically are all about you, 
then you're probably not very mature in your faith. Now, there's no condemnation there. I'm just telling you, we need to be aware of this because the more the light of Christ shines in us and our hearts, the eyes of our hearts are illuminated, what happens is we begin to see the needs around us more and more and more and more. We begin to see the hurt and the pain and the people around us more and it's less about us and it's more about them. And so when our lives are all about us, we have to understand that's a fairly immature place to be spiritually. Um, that's what children do. Children are all about them, but you expect the child to be all about them, don't you? If a two-year-old is totally selfless with the people around them, that's abnormal. A, a two-year-old understands mine and me and give me and no and those kind of things, right? And spiritually, we do the same thing. So when our prayers are all about us, we have to understand that there's a, a, there's a spiritual immaturity that's happening there. So when the the Holy Spirit illuminates our lives and illuminates the eyes of our hearts. We begin seeing the needs around us. It stretches us spiritually, helps us begin to grow. And so we have to see the needs around us. We have to see the people around us. And it's not just about us, it's about them as well. Um, let me go into verse 19. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ones to come. I love this because one of the things we see here, we mentioned this last week, the city of Ephesus was drawn to and attracted to a cult. So uh, mystic things, um, magic, um, witchcraft, all these kind of things were attractive to the people of Ephesus. And so what Paul is doing is speaking to that. And he's saying, oh, you think you have power and authority through the dark arts? Well, let me tell you something. You don't know power and authority until you know my God. Oh, you, you, think, you think you know what it means to be in control? Let me, let me tell you something. You don't know what it means to be in control because my God is in control. So he's saying, uh, my God supersedes every other God that you might have out there. My God is over. Uh, he is, has dominion. He has authority. He has sovereignty over every principality, every person, every ruler. It doesn't make any difference. My God is, my God's tougher than your God. To put it in elementary school vernacular, right? My dad could beat up your dad. And that's what he's saying. My God could take your God. And I love this because he just kind of confronts it head on. But what we see here in verse 18, I want to walk through, you, through this with you. In verse 18, he said that, that he's praying um, that you may know three things. So let me walk through these three things with you real quickly and we'll be done. He says, I'm praying that you may know the hope to which Jesus has called you. Uh, the world we live in is a largely hopeless world. If we're going to be honest, if you watch the news, it's depressing. If you um, just look around, uh, there's stuff with North Korea. There's, um, you know, hurricanes after hurricane after hurricane. And uh, you probably missed that there was a gigantic earthquake in southern Mexico uh, because it was overshadowed by the hurricanes. Um, there's disease. There's all kinds of things going on in the world. There's um, uh, just trouble between ethnicities, blacks and whites, and, and problems between um, Hispanics and whites, and problems between Democrats and Republicans. And all of it seems bad, and all of it seems worse than it ever has. And I'm telling you today, if we listen to the media, it's easy to be hopeless. And that seeps into us. So then we start going, man, I don't know if this marriage can be saved. I, I don't know. My, my child is far from God. I don't, know if my, I don't know if God can do anything there. And our finances, this is just always going to be the way it is. And that hopelessness gets into us and it becomes just kind of our default position on life. And that should not be the way Christians act. Because Christians have a hope 
that other people do not have. Um, and, and our hope is not in some false sense of security in a job or in a position or in something that the federal government or the state government or local government is going to do for us. It is all about Jesus Christ. Amen. Knowing who he is helps me know who I am. Um, so he says he wants us to know the hope to which Jesus has called you. So what is he doing? He's inviting us to a place of hope. He's saying, come experience real hope. And the only way we can really experience real hope, true hope that changes our lives, is by experiencing Christ, having an epignosis knowledge of who he is. Experiential knowledge of Christ is the doorway to a hope-filled life. Because hope isn't found anywhere else. <laughs> You can try. The job you get that you think is going to help you, uh, just as easily as you got it, it can, it can be taken away. There's people in this room that they will, they will vouch for that. You had a good job for a long time, and something happened. Circumstance changed, layoffs, whatever it is. So everything in this world is shaky except for the hope in Christ, and that only comes through relationship, deep knowledge of him. It also goes on to say in verse 18, uh, Paul wants us uh, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I talked about this a little last week. Inheritances are only given to people who are heirs, right? So you have to be in relationship. You probably have to be related by birth and by blood, but if not, you have to be related by choice. So somebody says, I love you enough to put you in my will, right? If it was, if it was any other way, wouldn't you scan the obits every morning and call some families up? Hey, I know you don't know me, but you guys look rich. I just want to see. Can I get in your will? No, that's okay. That's okay. Right? Some of you are thinking, oh, maybe. Uh -huh. But no, how do we get an inheritance? It's through being an heir. And what, what Paul is telling the church is that you are an heir. You might not even realize it. You might not even realize what you have coming to you. That it's not just someday in heaven that we have an incredible inheritance, but even here on earth, we've got an inheritance in him. And it has, blessing has nothing to do with finances. It can, but we think money when we think of blessing. I'm telling you today, if I could either choose to have a fat bank account or an incredible relationship with my daughters, I'll take the relationship with my daughters every day of the week. Because I know people who have fat bank accounts and they don't have a good relationship with their kids and they're miserable. If I could pick to have a fat bank account or a great relationship with my spouse, my wife, I would pick that every day of the week. It's not even close because, again, I know rich people who have a terrible marriage. So give me a great relationship with my wife. That's what blessing is. Blessing has nothing to do with money. That's where we default to. But blessing has everything to do with health in our lives. So when we talk about the glorious inheritance when we know what we have coming and when we know what eternity looks like, it makes our lives today even easier. We go, you know what? It's going to be just fine because this is a moment, but someday. Does that make sense? And the last thing he says is that it's his desire that we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power toward us who believe. So what happens is uh, God directs his power and authority toward us when we're in, pro and in trouble, when we're having issues, whatever it might be. I believe our Heavenly Father is a good father. He's a good God. And just like a good father will come alongside their kids whenever their kids are having problems, I believe our God is the same way. I would not leave my girls out to dry. Um, Abby, my oldest, she took geometry this summer uh, to get ahead, by the way. She gets that from her mother and not from me, I can promise you that. I took some summer classes, but it was not to get ahead, okay? Uh, and so she'd say, Daddy, can you help me with geometry? And I go, no, I can't. 
That's why I'm in ministry, so I could avoid the math, right? But I'll try. And so I'd come and sit down by her, and she'd go, yeah, I don't understand this. And i go, well, have you Googled it? I don't know. Like, I don't even know what to tell you, right? But I would attempt to help my daughter, even though I did not know. I, was, I wanted to help her. Um, and this is what our Heavenly Father does. Our Heavenly Father will come alongside us and go, hey, I'm directing energy and resources and authority your way. I see the problem you're in, and I'm coming alongside you. That's what he does. But his desire is not just to do that, to, to direct his authority to, toward us, but to direct his authority and his power and his might through us as well. So his desire is not just to help us because he didn't send his son just to make us comfortable. He didn't send his son just so we'd be happy. He sent his son so that we could experience life and help others experience the life in Christ as well. So his desire is to fill us so that we could fill the world. And we'll see that in just a second. Um, so just know that every bit of power and authority that God has uh, is given to his heirs. And you are an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. And because of that, he's not just giving you what you need to get by. He's directing enough to you so you can disperse it to the world. So all the hope you need, he's going to give it to you. But he's going to give you more than you need so you can give hope to the people around you. Peace that you need, guess what? He's going to give you enough peace, not just for you, but for the people around you as well. And it's your, it's your responsibility to be a conduit of who God is to the people around you as well. So he wants us to know what the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us really is. And when we understand that, when we understand how big and powerful and gracious and mighty our God is, it makes all the things in this world, even the things that seem big right now, when we compare them to how big our God is, they seem minuscule. And they seem momentary. What is the big deal? It gives us perspective on what we're dealing with and what we're looking at when we understand how truly big and good and powerful and mighty our God really is. It says the immeasurable greatness of his power. We can't even measure the authority and power he has in store for you. Ephesians 1.22, we're finishing up, says this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, I, I feel like Paul is referencing Psalm chapter 8, verse 6. And in that passage it says, you have given him dominion. And so uh, the psalmist is talking about the Christ. This is foreshadowing. He says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, so all of creation. And he says, you have put all things under his feet. So what he's saying is, uh, the coming Messiah will have authority over all things. He'll have dominion over all things. And this is what Paul is, is echoing here. And he said, you put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So he's saying, we are the body of Christ, but Christ is not separate from us. He is the head. He's the authority over the church, but he's not separate from the church. He's involved. He's active. It's similar to when Adam said of Eve, uh, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He didn't say I'm better than she is. He said, we are one in this together. She literally was made from me and we are one in this. Uh, and, and it's the same way we are one with Christ in, in this life. Uh, and he's sharing his authority with us. And I love this because, and I referenced this earlier, it said, uh, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's desire for us is to be filled with his spirit and to fill others with his spirit, to be, to be contagious with his spirit, if I can say it that way. So others would be <laughs> infected with his spirit, if I can say it. That sounds weird to say it that way, but I think you understand what I'm saying. For us to live our lives in a spirit-led kind of way where the people around us will see it and desire it. They'll go, man, I want something like that. I don't know why they seem to always be happy. I don't know why they always seem to be optimistic. I don't know why 
I'm attracted to that. I, I would like to live my life that way. So God's desire is for us to live our lives that way. To be filled and to fill the whole earth. You know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What he was saying is, in our context, it, was like, it would be like me saying, hey, I want you to go make disciples in Indiana, in Indiana County, in western Pennsylvania, and the whole world. And basically when he says the whole world, he means all the parts of the world you haven't even dreamed of going to yet. That's how God wants to expand. That's his plan, is for us to be filled and for us to fill the earth. But that can only happen when we have knowledge of him, when we know him. Not just a head knowledge that comes through books, but an experiential knowledge where we truly are in relationship with him, where we know him deeply and intimately. That's what God is inviting you into today. That's what he desires for you. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and we're so grateful that you love us. In fact, we can't even understand your love. It's so deep and wide and high that, um, that we can't fathom your love for us. And you loved us so much that you sent your son to the cross, that he willingly laid down his life for us. And again, we don't understand that. We can't fathom that, but thank you for loving us that way. God, I pray today our eyes would be open, Lord. The, the eyes of our heart would be illuminated to see ourselves the way you see us, Lord, not as failures. Lord, you see us as, as, as children you love, but God, let us have a revelation about what's going on in our own hearts, God. If, if we are not where we need to be, God, I pray that you would bring us into alignment today. You would draw us into relationship with you. God, I pray for those that are here that are believers, God, give us vision to see the world around us, the needs around us, and that we are the answer to your prayer for this world. So God, I pray today that you just minister in our hearts, God. For those that are here that maybe have a head knowledge but no real heart knowledge, they don't really know you, God, help them see that there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in this place at all, but Lord, there's simply a loving invitation from our Heavenly Father. So God, I pray that you just draw us into you today. Have your way with us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? Um, what you described is me. Maybe you've been to church. Lots of times. Maybe you've prayed, but you recognize today you've got a head knowledge, but you don't really have a heart knowledge of God. You don't really know Jesus. And you recognize that that's going to make all the difference. I just want to invite you. If that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I just want to pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you said, Mel, I want to know Jesus. I really want to know him today because I believe it's going to make all the difference. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And then you can put your hand right back down. Is there any that would say pray for me? Yeah, a couple of hands over here on my left. I see you. Thank you, guys. Who else? Yeah, over here on my right. Praise God. Thank you. You can put your hand down. It's here in the center section. A couple of hands. Awesome. Who else? Says, that's me, Mel. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. Another hand up in the balcony. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anybody else? Yeah, over here on my right. I see you. All right. I'd like everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray a simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me, even when I didn't deserve it. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And help me live a life that brings glory to you. Fill me so that I could help fill this world with your spirit. Help me influence the people in my life for your glory. Today, I choose you, and today, you choose me. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. I truly believe the decision you made today is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's more important than who you marry or where you'll live or what job you'll take. This could change you. This will change everything about you. And so I'm excited for what God is doing in your life. We want to help you take the next step. Just like when a baby is born, um, the baby needs encouragement. The baby needs uh, covering and protection and guidance and help and all those kind of things. Uh, we believe that Scripture says when we come into relationship with Jesus, we're being born again, born of the Spirit. In the same way that we need help as a physical child, spiritually we need help. And so we want to help you take the next step. We want to help you mature and grow in your faith. And the simplest way to do that is by simply taking this card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer. On the other side it says salvation. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, we'd love for you to fill this card out for us and then simply drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave. We'll help you take the next step. Uh, we'll help you grow in your faith. We'll help you get connected to resources and relationships that will help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you can't reach one of these cards or if you're watching online right now and you'd like to respond, all you need to do is simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. So when you text that word to us, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to get you resources and help you take the next step in your faith journey. So again, thank you for doing that. We're so proud of you. We're so excited for you. Thank you for doing that today. Here's what's going to happen now. Our worship team's going to lead us in a final song. We'll sing together. We're going to respond to what God has spoken to us in this place today. And if you need prayer for any reason, our prayer team is going to be available during this final song on either side of this stage. So as we begin to sing, if you need prayer for any reason at all, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we finish singing, Pastor Todd Stanley is going to come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we go today. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Have a wonderful day, and we hope to see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.